We're continuing um, uh, in Titus 2. Uh, we're looking at uh, verse 11 to 15 again, but really we're looking at uh, verse 15. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray. Father, we speak of your grace this morning, and uh, we pray for that grace to be at work in our hearts, that your power, uh, the power of your Holy Spirit, will be teaching us, guiding us, blessing us, encouraging us and rebuking us uh, in your truth. And Father, I pray that as we talk about a subject that we often talk about, that you would bring a new life, a new excitement about this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, reading from Titus 2, 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself to us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us Sorry, to purify for himself a, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Okay. We're looking particularly at the last passage. Uh, these then are the things you should teach. The grace of God that has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Paul, in, in, in Titus 2, he started by saying, make sure you teach in accordance with sound doctrine. Teach what's right. Teach the truth. And uh, he said that that truth will work out in the actions of young and old. We, remember we talked about men and women. We talked about old and teaching young. We talked about slaves and free and that people were to be self-controlled, to have integrity, to have love, to submit, uh, to make sure they don't have anything to, that would cause people to speak against them. All, and he finishes by saying, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation that causes you to live godly lives. The gospel saves us and the gospel ongoingly causes us to live godly lives. Okay. These are the things you should teach. Now, I'm actually mostly going to talk about grace today. I'm going to talk about grace in the context of what is grace and also grace as we're told to, pre to preach this grace with authority and therefore the grace that will encourage and the grace that will rebuke. How many people like rebuking other people? You, you do, will we? <laughs> yeah. We kind of knew that. Um, yes, very good. Grace is, is God's very character. When the, the Lord appeared to Moses, he said, The Lord, the Lord, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. It started with grace, actually, because grace is something about God which is the opposite to the way this world works. This world says you earn what you deserve. Is that right? Yep. If you don't work, you don't get paid. You don't deserve pay. Uh, we work, we get paid, but grace says God gives us what we never earned and he goes on giving when we still go on not earning. Okay? He keeps giving us 
uh, more grace. Sometimes I think we want grace for ourselves, uh, but we don't want to give it to other people. It's like driving with an L-plater. We've been working that through lately. And L-platers are funny creatures because they go down the street. They nearly hit a lot of people. They nearly back into people. They pull out in front of people like they are terrible. And being in the passenger seat is even worse. And yet that same L-plater, you'll be going down the street and someone will pull out in front of them and they go, what are they doing that for? Yeah? Is that true? That's happens again and again. Has done for the last hundred hours of driving with an L platter. Um, and it's a, it's a strange thing. I want to be treated with grace, but I don't want to have any grace. I'm going to apply the law to everybody else. And that's kind of what we like, isn't it? And they're both wrong, actually, because one of them wants free grace. It says, it wasn't that bad what I did, pulling out in front of you. What do you expect? Right? That's actually a lie. Everything we do wrong... That Jesus had to go to the cross, which says that there's no free grace. It's all costly grace. True? And also, grace that condemn, grace says you can't condemn other people when you yourself have been under grace. So stop getting into them. Is that true? Okay. Now, sometimes the world does give things freely, but then it demands something back. We give lots of people free gifts and then we want to hear from them how they, you know, we, want, we demand an action back. We, we uh, give people uh, perhaps money and then we say, but, but how do they use that? Do they use that wisely? Are we going to do it again? You understand, it's grace with demands. Now the church needs to teach the message of grace because Paul says, this is what you need to teach. You need to teach this. But the church naturally moves into a way of thinking, a way of thinking which is religion. And religion says, if we do our right things, God will act as he needs to act. Can you see that's not grace? Yeah? Religion. uh, Because what that ends up with, if we can do things a certain way to make God act a certain way, we're in control of God. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, No one actually acts truly, even in, even in believers, as they really should. We need God's grace at every moment. But there's a pigeon, you've heard the pigeon story, right? There's a thing that uh, people do with pigeons. And if you get a pigeon in a cage, right, you can picture him walking around, and he's walking around the cage, this is a true story, you can look it up online, and you drop a grain of wheat into that pigeon, he will think... What was I doing just before that grain of wheat dropped? I was lifting my leg. So after he'd eaten the grain of wheat, he would go over and he would go, right, and he'd lift his leg and then he'd drop another one. And very soon that pigeon thinks he's in control of the dropping of the wheat. But then what you can do is actually you can make him go like this and it doesn't work. He lifts his leg and then he lifts his leg and turns his head. And then you drop it. And next time that same pigeon will lift his leg and turn his head. And then you drop it. And you can actually get a pigeon doing a whole string of actions to believe they're in control of the one dropping the wheat. Isn't that fantastic? We, that's what religion does. It has us believing that we can control God. It's not grace. Because grace is God's absolute freedom to act as he pleases outside of what we're doing. 
He shows grace to us when we're good and he shows grace to us when we're bad. In other words, when we lift our leg the right way and when we don't. You see? Can you get what I'm saying? God, just, God is just a man of grace. It's, it's really, uh, another example uh, is, okay, we know often Jesus healed people and he said, uh, by your faith, just believe and you'll be healed. So therefore, faith is a precondition for healing, possibly. But then he healed a man in John 5. The man's by the pool and he says, do uh, you remember he's a paralytic? And they, they had this sort of belief in religion that angels will stir up the pool. If I can get in the pool, I'll be healed. The first one in gets the prize. It's pretty hard when you're a paralytic, actually, isn't it? And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he said, how can I be healed? I can't get in the pool. Yeah. There's a religious thing we've got to do to make God act the way he does. Now, this man, Jesus just heals him and then disappears off into the crowd. The bloke picks up his bed and is walking off and the Pharisees say, what are you doing carrying your bed? It's the Sabbath. And he said, oh, someone just healed me. Who healed you? I don't know, some bloke. What was his name? I don't know who he was. Right? Can you see what Jesus did there is he broke the religion of, you've got to do this to make it happen. He just healed a man who had no faith whatsoever, didn't even know who Jesus was. Isn't that cool? God's absolutely free to offer grace without our manipulation. Because Paul says again and again, as Sally said this morning, to the praise of his glorious grace. God just does stuff because he is that God who acts because grace is who he is. He shows kindness to people who deserve it, who are doing the right things. He shows grace to people who don't deserve it, who are doing all the wrong things. And I'm, Now, I'm not just saying the people who are doing the wrong things are non-Christians because we Christians do things wrong all the time and he shows us grace. Non-Christians do things right. He shows them grace. He causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Okay? Did you notice that when it started raining, when the drought broke, that these nasty non-Christians around the place got rain too? What's God doing? He's showing his grace. Yep. Do you understand that? Okay. Now, grace is seen two ways in the Bible. It, it's actually, this is something uh, I've been learning Grace, you know, we, we say a definition of grace. People often say it's unearned or unmerited favour. God gives you favour you don't deserve, and that's undoubtedly in Scripture, isn't it? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so everyone's failed God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God showed grace when we deserve nothing. Okay? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But also, the Bible seems to speak of grace as a kind of a power of God that works uh, through believers and causes us to do the God, good works God's called us to. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of that. Um, in 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound in you so that you have all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, and you may, be, you may abound in every good work. All right? Uh, I'm, that's ESV, actually. Because ESV there uses the word grace because that's what's in the Greek. Sorry. Uh, that, so it's a... Um, the NIV makes it say he's able to bless you abundantly, where the Greek says uh, he's able to make grace abound in you. 
Okay, so God gives you grace, which causes you to have sufficiency so that you may do good works. His grace is at work in you to cause you to do good works. That's good, isn't it? So God's grace gives you the ability to have obedience. It is, it's not just a knowledge and a motivation. I know about grace, so I want to do more. It's his actual power working in you. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Jesus says to Paul, or God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. Again, that's the word sufficient and grace seem to go together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, Paul had pleaded three times, take this sickness from me, take this sickness from me. didn't just say prayed, he says pleaded. He pleaded with God, take this sickness from me. But God said, no, it's good for you to be weak. It's good for you to be sick in this way. Because then you won't become proud. And then you'll see that everything that you have and everything you need and all the power you need for life comes from me. My power in you, Paul, is perfection in your weakness, not in your strength. The perfection comes in your weakness. Can you see what he's saying is, my power is at work in what's going on for you and causes you to understand me properly, to understand who I am. And then you'll understand, Paul, everything comes from me. It doesn't come from you. You're the weak one. I'm the strong one, says God. Okay. Grace also drives us to work hard. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I'll read that again. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So God has made me by his kindness what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain because, on the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. I worked very, very hard because of grace. I didn't work very, very hard because of fear or because God had a whip or because I felt obligated or you just got to do the religious thing. He said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's like the grace of God was constantly working in him a power for life. So the power needed for the Christian life is God's constant grace coming to us. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit works in this. I often told the story years ago. I remember we've been married about a two years, I think. And I, I don't know why I was hanging out washing, but I was hanging out washing, and, and I was, there was two things going on in my mind. I was hanging out washing, and I was really angry with Jody. I can't tell you what it was about. I don't remember. Probably I was hanging out the washing. Probably I was hanging out the washing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really angry with Jody, and I was hanging out washing. And I was standing there, and I was peg, peg. And at that moment, for some reason, God just flooded me with the warmth of his love. And I was like, and then I was angry with myself and I was kind of mad with God because that's not what he's supposed to do. He was supposed to be angry with me. But you see, he doesn't work like that. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He just shows grace to us. Isn't that good? He, and, and, he, and he calls, in that he humbles us and causes us to be obedient, to live as Christ. 
So grace is both two things. It, it, it is both his unmerited favour and it is also his power to live in ongoing grace. Or Peter says, grow in grace because you grow in the power of God. You grow in what you should be. And this grace gives us confidence, Hebrews 4.16. We'll get that one up. Um, we have confidence because we know, firstly, God has showed us grace, so he's put us in this place as his children, and then that grace is ongoing. He's still working in our life when we still don't deserve it. He's still doing good things in us. So this gives us confidence. And Hebrews 4.16 says, Then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Okay, so what sort of throne are we approaching? It's not like Esther, where she approached the throne wondering what's going to happen to me. Okay, you're approaching the throne of the God of grace. You know what he thinks of you already. Now, why do you know what he thinks of you already? Because it's not because he's looking, here comes Will to the throne of grace and God's saying, I guess I'll love him. It's, it's because Will approaches the throne of grace and God looks at Will and says, he's in Christ. He's completely righteous. There is nothing in Will that is against me. I fully accept him as my child. Here he comes. So Will can walk towards God with, with head held high, knowing he is a father who accepts me fully because of the grace of what has happened through Jesus Christ to fully forgive Will once and for all. So we can approach God every time we come to him through Jesus Christ with our heads held high, with no snivelling and, and, oh, you know, because, you see, when we snivel, what we're really saying is God shouldn't be a God of grace. He should be angry with me still. Yeah? He should be having a go at me. But he's not. He's the God of grace. So we approach with confidence and he accepts us by his grace. God constantly doesn't treat us like we deserve. Okay. Uh, what, what did the passage say? We draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we keep drawing near to God, we keep approaching God, we keep coming to God in our lives and he keeps giving us the help by his grace that we need. How often? Every day, every hour, every minute. We need his grace constantly. And it is his power that it's at work in us. Another way of translating that, maybe a better, more literal translation, is that we may find mercy and grace for a well-timed help. (laughs) We need some well-timed help. It is incredibly encouraging that God is working in our lives and he's treating us always better than we deserve. And that is a practical need. He is practically giving us help. God gives us everything. Everything we have comes from God. Do you know that? Everything good. It's it's always flowing from him. And as soon as we get religious and we say it's because of us, then we get distracted, disillusioned, disappointed, dissed, everything bad. Because you see, it's not coming from Christ. It's coming because I'm earning from God. Have a look at me today, God. Wasn't I good? Did you see the way I loved that other person, God? Yeah, In other words, I deserve it, it's not your grace. God is always coming to us in his grace and he gives us his spirit to the praise of his glorious grace. It's always everything in him. So teach these things, says Paul. Teach grace. Okay, 
It doesn't ever get boring, Grace. The good news of Jesus Christ is not going to get boring. It's exciting all the time. You understand that? Don't get bored by it because it's everything of all of our life. Uh, these are what you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. You have an authority which comes from God. His powers at work in you. So speak the truth of his grace. Now grace encourages and grace rebukes. I want to just break that into two sections. First we're going to do the encouragement. He encourages by his grace. Well, uh, when, when our hearts are under guilt, doesn't he? We're under guilt. He reminds us of the full forgiveness that he's given us. We don't need to live in guilt. Uh, grace encourages when our heart is under shame. When we're ashamed, because shame, guilt is about doing wrong, but shame says you've done wrong, therefore you're a nobody. You're useless, you're hopeless, and the grace of God says, no, 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 you're a child of God. You're a child of the Father, you're loved. Grace encourages when we're lonely. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, the grace of God says. Especially when we're lonely because we think we deserve to be lonely, because we deserve not to have God not with us. The grace still comes to us, it encourages us, you see. Grace encourages us by bringing us the knowledge. That, I mean, the chief work of the Holy Spirit is to remind us we have a Father and the Spirit within us cries, Abba, Father, and we approach him. You see? Says, Paul says that a few times. The, we have a fa- Our greatest need is to have a Father. Okay? We, if you know you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be doing this and doing that and going here and going there. But when you know you've got a Father, you'll be able to do stuff and you'll be able to have a rest. You'll be able to relax. In your mind, you'll have true peace because we desire and we need a Father more than anything else. Okay, the grace of God encourages us with the knowledge that we have a Father. Can you understand the difference between having a God and having a Father? A God's just some eternal life force, power, blah, blah, blah. Do your stuff, serve him. A Father, we have a relationship. We know him. We have acceptance. God's grace encourages us with the knowledge that we have a Father. Who will never divorce us, by the way. Grace during hardship. Uh, Grace encourages us when life is hard. With the passage from Isaiah, which we studied a few weeks back, said, though you walk through the waters, I'll be there. Though you walk through the fires. Yep, that one from Isaiah. I'm with you through the hardship. He didn't say, I'm with you so you won't go through hardship. When you walk through the fire, I'll be there. When you walk through the flood, I'll be there. I'll be with you. His grace is constantly with you. That encourages us. And grace encourages us when we think we've gone too far. How often does that happen when you really think, I think today I've outsinned God once and for all. I've, I've done it. I've done that thing you should never do. It's wrong that God would still love me. And he still does. See, grace, grace gives us this incredible encouragement. He comes to us with all of his goodness. Okay, what about grace to rebuke? What does grace rebuke? That's what he's. Um, and how, we, how, how can we rebuke people with grace? Uh, um, well, 
Grace rebukes those who think their righteous actions is why God loves them, doesn't it? Grace says to people who who, who are self-righteous, you're wrong. You're not righteous because of yourself. You're righteous because of Jesus Christ. Grace rebukes that and says, get over yourself. Actually, self-righteous people won't get to heaven on their self-righteousness because if the standard of heaven's here, self-righteousness is down here. Do you understand? You haven't got got what you need. The debt paid that is required to pay for your debt to get into heaven is Jesus Christ. It's the death of a good man. You can't pay it. Okay. So grace rebukes our self-righteousness. Grace also rebukes those who don't believe that God should love those other rotten people. You know those other rotten people. Just, just pick your favourite people who you really don't like, whatever they're, they're probably protesting against something or for something or something like that. Yeah? Just everybody has their own buttons to push. Jody knows which mine is. I can't mention it publicly. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah, not that. <laughs> um, those people shouldn't be in heaven. Grace says neither should you. Yeah. Yep. I, a, a friend of mine, was, uh, he was saying he, he'd, he'd become a Christian and his brother was doing stuff. He, My brother is a pain. You, you should see the thing he does. He, he just, he's, ugh, he's doing all this partying and drinking and being horrible to people. And, and, one, and you feel like saying, oh, well, hopefully one day he'll become a Christian. Right? But instead of, but, but what I actually did this day to this, this fella was say, I used to rebuke your grace. I said, You're full of yourself, mate. Don't you know you were saved by grace and now you're paying him out? What are you paying him out for? He's no better than you were. He's no worse either, is he? So stop it. That's a rebuke of grace that, that says, Stop looking down on other people because without the grace of God coming to you, you're worse than them anyway. Or at least the same. That's the rebuke of grace. Grace rebukes us when we become sooky. Okay, I think it should be. I think it might be in the Bible that somewhere that the grace of God that rebukes sooks victims. Hey, pity party. Now, why do I say that? Because it's something I'm prone to. Those people were nasty to me. Those people treated me badly. This happens, you know. Yeah. And you, and you get all sooky and God says, look at all I've done for you. And here you are saying that. Yeah? The grace of God actually rebukes sooks and says, pick yourself up, you're a child of God, get on with it. Stop your sooking. It's a bit really what happened, you know the story of Elijah when he, he goes down in that cave and he says, I'm the only one God and all the people have left you and they're all worshipping idols. Blah, 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 blah. Right? And then God comes through and there's this power and the rocks are breaking and the, you know, everything, everything's going on. And he comes to, and God was in this still small voice that speaks to, uh, to, to um, I've forgotten his name just now. Elijah. Elijah. And, and the still small voice. And then what does Elijah say? I'm the only one and all these people who are against me, whinge, whinge, whinge. And what does God say? I'll give you a couple of jobs to do. Get on with it. Doesn't even answer him. Go and, go and 
make this bloke king and make this bloke your president. Just <laughs> quit your sooking. His grace to him gave him the power to just get on what he was doing. Yeah? Grace comes to us when we're silks. Okay. Grace comes to those who are bitter and refuse to forgive. I'm, I'm talking about the rebuke of grace here again. I, I was talking to a, a friend who's a pastor and he was talking, we'll call this friend, doesn't matter, he's pastor. He had an elder in his congregation, we'll call him elder. Okay, elder had been very badly treated. He was a young elder and the older elders had been, you know, typical knives in the back, stabbing him, stopping everything he's doing for years. And eventually, for the first time, Elder didn't go to church one week. And the pastor was saying, how do I encourage him? You know, how do I encourage him? Because <laughs> he was looking for ways to say, because he'd been badly treated, and he'd really been badly treated. Okay? I said, well, you could say to him, Jesus died to forgive all your sins and here you are sitting in your pool of misery not forgiving others. That's the rebuke of grace. Rather than the patting on the back, poor fella, you've been treated bad. Yeah, you've been treated badly. Jesus got treated worse and he, and what, he got treated worse by you. By your sins. So pull your head in. Look to Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? The rebuke of grace stops us from our from being kind of bound up in our own little miserable worlds and sets us free by his power to actually live in the forgiveness that he's given us. The rebuke comes to those who think they've earned God's favour. I'll say that again. That's the Pharisees, isn't it? They thought they were getting to heaven by their own goodness. They'd obeyed all the God's laws. Jesus was harder on them than anybody else because God opposes the proud, and gives grace to the humble. We don't earn God's favour. He gives his favour because that's who he is and that's what he's like. And so Paul finishes by saying, do not let anyone despise you, which is a really funny thing to say because you can't really help that when people despise you, can you? <laughs> I think in one sense he'd be saying, don't let them despise you because of the gospel, uh, sorry, because of the way you act when you preach the gospel, when you're full of yourself. They will despise the gospel. People, I think the gospel of grace gets people angrier than almost any other thing. They despise the grace of God. They despise grace so much that they will crucify the Lord of glory. That's how much people despise grace. Because they hate, humanity hates being undermined in our self-reliant power. We want to be the top of the pile and grace says, no, you're not. The only reason you're anything is because God's given it to you. Do you understand? Grace makes people angry. So the message is enough. We don't have to make it worse by being kind of annoying twerps as Christians. Yeah, Don't need to go that. Just preach the message as it is. Don't let them despise you for that. Another, the other... Uh, Translations of the Bible say something like, don't let anyone disregard what you say. In other words, make sure you speak that message. Make sure you actually do. Make sure you don't hold back from it. Uh, make sure you actually speak that message of grace rather than, yeah, I know, those people are rotten. They deserve God's judgment. I hope they get it. 
you're basically calling down curses on yourself when you say that, aren't you? Because we are under grace. Anyway, even if you do call down curses on yourself, you're still under grace. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> you, you, otherwise, we'd just be stuffed all the time. God's grace just keeps on coming to us, doesn't it? We talked last night about Peter, you know, three times denying Jesus. Just imagine, I'm going to use uh, Les for an example. Les is down the street talking to people. And, he, and, and uh, I hear you went to church the other day. Oh, no. No, I don't, go to, I don't like Jesus. I don't know anything about Jesus. And he walks down the street and someone else says, I hear you follow Jesus, Les. No, I don't like Jesus. Not, nothing to do with Jesus. Don't even know the man. Goes down a bit further. Same thing again, right? What would we say? What sort of Christians, Les? Pretty pathetic. Not a Christian. I would say by the third time, you don't deserve to be a Christian. What did Jesus do to Peter? Hmm. What, did he, what did he say to them? He said to Peter in, in John's Gospel, three times you'll deny me, right? But do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. That's, that's how the, sorry, there's a chapter break there, but if you take away that number 14, you'll find that it follows on. Why did he say, do not let your heart be troubled? Trust in God, trust in me. You're about to do something horrible, Peter, but I'm going to love you and my grace is going to keep coming to you. Isn't grace awesome? Because it's saying, isn't God awesome? You can't out-sin him. Don't, don't, don't disregard that message. Don't become people of law when he's the God of grace. I'm going to stop. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be people who love your grace, who study your grace, who go over and over your grace. I pray that you'd drive out of us every inkling of law and religion that judges and condemns and puts down and that we will be people who look at others through the same grace you've shown us and, Father, that we would learn to see that everything good comes from you. All righteousness is yours. You've given it to us through Jesus Christ. It's not even our own. It's, we're hidden in him. I pray, Father, that you would show us again and again that we might be all to the praise of your glorious grace every moment of our lives that we would be praising you by saying our God is so good he's given us everything I pray that we would be people filled with your Holy Spirit who rely on you for everything and I pray this in Jesus name Amen